Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a independent music and arts podcast. And what that means is uh, I don't have some company breathing down my neck and I can do what I want and I do it all on my own. Um, but speaking of music, uh, as usual, I'm more of a music podcast these days. And that song that played the show in is You Can Find Me from the Magic Markers from their new album, 2020. And that is out and available to purchase now. The links for that are in the show notes. And all things, my guest, Alyssa Ambrosio, uh, who is a great, warm. this is such a great conversation I had. And she's very funny and we had a lot of fun. And I just kind of left it. It starts where it starts. Usually I cut it down a little bit, but I just let it. But it is a two-part conversation. There's two parts, two-part episodes. The second episode will be Patreon exclusive only. And if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, go to the show notes in my LinkedIn there, patreon.com slash CWMD. And you could subscribe and get the second part of this. Or there's all kinds of exclusive content, like my video conversation with King Khan. Um, and if you like the Magic Markers, I've interviewed a lot of musicians uh, like Alex from Mets, Honus Honus from Man Man. Tons of great interviews. Please check out my library. Um, also, I just want to say real quick, um, and I don't usually do this. I usually do the intro and I get out and I'm real quick about that. But um, it's uh, during COVID, it's hard to find time to exercise. So my wife and I bought a uh, exercise bike from Proform. And um, they suck. So don't buy anything from them. They sent me a broken bike. And after waiting on the phone for five hours, yes, five hours on hold to try to get somebody to help me, um, I got so fed up. I said, I just want to return this. And they said, yeah, that'll cost you $350. $350 to return a broken bike from Proform. Fuck these motherfuckers. Proform, if you want to be screwed around. And oh, by the way, I called. The sales number, they pick up in less than 30 seconds. But if you have a problem, they take hours, and they, they don't ever apologize. They're like our president, a fucking soulless prick <laughs> who doesn't apologize for his errors. Proform. They're the tr President Trump of exercise. Okay, I hope that wasn't hostile. I just uh, literally wasted five hours of my day doing that and uh, screaming at people. And I'm not a yeller. I'm not an angry guy, but uh, I am today. Anyway, so enough of that sidetrack. Uh, Elisa Ambrosio is a great person who's warm and inviting, and I'm so glad she did this podcast, and I'm grateful to Drag City Records for hooking this up. So let's get to the conversation. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I said that with way too much excitement. I'm sorry. Hi, it's Matt Dwyer. Hi, Matt. It's like I was going to launch into selling you something, didn't it? That's what that sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it had, um, it was rife with potential. It had a lot of optimism. <laughs> I just, I've got a great deal for you. And just please hang on the phone for just one minute. <laughs> I think, and, um, part, I think I was over, uh, being overly excited because uh, I don't, I usually don't admit this, but I'm uh, uh, a tad, you're, you have such a magnificent brain and it's, oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that sounds like a, but I was just like, everything I read of with you at interviews and stuff, I was just like, holy shit, this person is uh, a unique person. 
And I, I, <laughs> I don't say that to, you know, um, uh, ass kiss or whatever. I just, it, it's truly been, um, or maybe I'm just very feeble minded and <laughs> I, I'm leaning toward that. There's nothing else that I can, there's no other explanation really. Oh yes. My wife. It has, fully, it has to be that one. Yes. It's, it's feeble. I, I admit I, I lack in many areas in my life. <laughs> No, it's not that, but you're really nice. Thank you. That's really, really genuinely um, super nice. Yeah, it, yeah. and I, I also, the weirdest thing I was like, when I was reading about you, I was obsessed with um, the pizza that you must have grown up with. Probably not the most traditional. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you have a new album. How's the pizza in your town? Oh, my God. Well, I moved to McKinleyville, California, which is a small town in Humboldt County, like very northern, right on the shore. It's really beautiful. It's amazing. It's flawless. It It's one. It's Achilles heel is you, you just can't have as much pizza as Connecticut. And there's no little signs with an Italian man making the kissy mouth, <laughs> fingers, wearing a little white hat. Like, it's my culture, and it's been robbed of me. I now live in an environment where there's no kissy Italian man wearing a white hat, and that's been a real challenge for me. So the best pizza I had growing up was... There's like, you know, where did you grow up? Chicago. So I'm sure we'll have that. Uh, weird. Okay. So you have a totally different context for even what pizza is. I lived in Chicago for two years, and I was like, "This is this way lies madness. This is not <laughs> no, <laughs> that is not a good. I mean, it's its own thing. It's like I think of it as like casserole or something. It's not like pizza." Well, a lot of people don't realize that there is a whole style of thin crust pizza in Chicago that seems to get ignored, and it was actually first. And most people don't like Chicago. I didn't have deep dish pizza until I was like in my late teens. And I grew up with this like thin crust tavern square style pizza. Okay. Let me ask you about this. I have had this, but I don't know if the kind that I had was not, it, it was almost like it had been rolled out with something that perforated the dough a bit. Like a, like how crackers have perforation. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, it's a, like a cracker crust. Yes, that's, again, insane to me. These are all under the umbrellas of insanity. It's Midwestern insane pizza. It's too, it's, it's all too strange for my brain. I can't, I can't really, and California has its own, again, wrong pizza, no offense for everyone, but there's only certain kinds of pizza and they're all from the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, I have two friends from or it, New Haven, and they they just are like, you don't know pizza. That's all they ever say to me, and I and I make a lot, of, and they're just like, you don't know, no, you don't know. And they sent me, oh, they actually they sent me a pizza from New York from uh, uh, Defara. Oh my god! Like on dry ice or something? Yeah, and that have oh you had? My god. <laughs> No, I've never had that, but that's amazing. I that stuff. I like spent time on the internet, like looking at certain foods. Like, do I want to pay eighty dollars? But you know, to be fair, I've also thought that about Vienna um, hot dogs from Chicago. <laughs> Beef was like my favorite, and that's an incomparable hot dog. There's nothing better. 
Oh, well, at least we can, you know, we can find some peace in that. Did you, do you make but, it? But, but, no, wait, don't, don't settle into finding peace here because do you put ketchup on your hot dog? No. Yeah, there you go. There's, there's, there's a problem. <laughs> it's everyone, my entire record label, like, like Dan K, Drag City, you know, grand dude, he, he st- he'll like literally send me like long papers on how ketchup is not meant to go on a hot dog and like all of the reasons for why. So there's, you know, even though I love Vienna beef and I love hot dogs in general, I do put ketchup on them and that seems to be not allowed in the Midwest. It seems like that's weird. It's, I mean, if for I, I there's so many things in the world right now to be upset about that I'm don't think that, <laughs> I don't think ketchup. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, most of the country's roiling with the ketchup v no ketchup today. I don't know what I don't know what circles you run in, but <laughs> I mean, Chicagoans get really uptight about it, and but I'm I I don't know. Like, I just find that this like okay, is that what you're attaching yourself to? <laughs> it's like. Uh, it just seems weird to me to get so upset about ketchup on a hot dog. And yet, I really do. I run, I run into a lot of uh, defensiveness on that, on that tip. I don't know why, but people really, really don't. Like it. Yeah, Chicago gets real uptight about its food, and I, I think maybe that's just there's a, I think there's a general chip on the old Chicago and shoulder in general, just because they've, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're we're not New York and and LA and I don't know. So we got to get real uptight about something and, and prove everybody, prove the world wrong about that ketchup. <laughs> I mean, I, I respect it though. It's like, at least you have a point of view. You're not like one of those mealy mouth towns that like get nice about everything. I know what towns you're talking about. You're talking about Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's an intra Midwest battle, but I, I can't. I don't have a dog in the fight. I can't. I can't. I can't voice that. I have a lot of very good friends from Minnesota too, so I feel like, you know. No, Minnesota's okay. uh, Minneapolis is is a fantastic place. When what? Where did you live in Chicago? I actually lived in like four neighborhoods. I lived in, um, I started off in Wicker Park. We moved into this really, I I don't, I don't know if it was like Craigslist or maybe some like creepy dude that hooked me up. Yeah. Okay. So it was like this woman sold romance novels on the internet off of like, like early early Amazon or whatever because it was like 2005 or that's not that early it's like five years into Amazon or something anyway like she made her money off of the postage on shitty romance books and she also like was a bartender and it was just this really weird awesome apartment right across the street from a park in Wicker Park right around the corner from like Reckless and um like super awesome food and just like really like it's the first time I ever lived in a city. It was the coolest thing ever. I love Chicago so much. And then after Wicker Park, I lived in Andersonville. And after Andersonville, I lived in Bucktown for like a second. And I feel like I was in Pilsen a lot. That's a lot of moving in two years. 
I know. And I had a sweet job at a smoothie shack where I made smoothies. Uh, that was horrible. I, don't, I, I put that I... I put that I played noise guitar on my resume, and that's why I got hired, because the girl who was the HR lady was like, noise guitar, eh? I want you in my smoothie shack. And then we became friends. (laughs) (laughs) I lived in all those neighborhoods. Simon's. Did you go to Simon's, the bar in Andersonville? Oh, my God. That was, like, my... That was literally, like, the... My happiest memory of living in Andersonville was... Getting off the train and going into Simon's and just like drinking alone at the bar. I was, I, that was my favorite bar in like, yeah, I loved that place. Yeah, but I don't mean to be so happy about a bar, but I <laughs> love that bar. Talking- I had a really amazing jukebox and yeah. it was just like a block away from my house and I would just like go there and yeah, it was nice. Yeah, that was my. That is probably one of my all-time favorite bars. Definitely in Chicago, that in the Old Town Ale House, and I probably could have. Oh, that place was great. I went there a lot too. <laughs> I went to a lot of bars. <laughs> I, you know, it don't ask me my favorite library. <laughs> the, the, the drinking culture in that city is is just ridiculous. And I bartended when I was there, and like I made more money in the '90s bartending than I did in 2005 in Los Angeles. Like, it was just, like, crazy. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember Marie's Riptide? Oh, yeah. I used to go there quite often. Me, too. Marie was still alive when I was there. She would, like, be behind the bar and stuff. And I was like, this is, this is the best bar ever. Roses? That was also a really Roses, I never went to Roses. Oh, Roses was also, there was an old, you, I don't, she was some Eastern European, but, and she'd give you shots of Kershevitz or something. I can't even remember if that's, <laughs> and it was just like this vile, it was like spoiled eggnog with like rubbing alcohol is what it tasted like. <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds like magical. I love Chicago. <laughs> what brought you to California, to McKinley? Is that, sounds like a very small world mckinley mckinleyville named after president mckinley he visited there on his train tour and they were like let's change the name of the town it's very not um populated which is kind of cool in these wild times that we're living in um it's actually uh not that town but a little bit south Elk River is where um, Ben Chasney, my partner, grew up, and he um, kind of, you know, as soon as he left his hometown, because, you know, when you grow up in a small town, you're just, like, itching to leave, and he left, and he was kind of like, oh, man, like, he would talk about where he grew up and be like, ah, you know, kind of not really into it, and the first time I visited, I was like, this is the most beautiful place on earth. How do you talk about it? Like, it's like the crummy town you grew up in. It's like just ethically beautiful, like giant redwoods and crazy, huge beaches, just gorgeous, crazy coast. And it's, I can't think of somewhere more naturally beautiful. And it's kind of hidden because it's a five hour drive from San Francisco on really on the 101 where if like you see a sign that's like highway closed up ahead, there's no other choices for another road to take. Like you're just stuck there for the night. So it has, they call it the redwood curtain. So it has this element of being really isolated. And um, yeah, I just loved it so much that I kind of, we just 
then maybe it grew on him too. His family is still there. I, I sort of was like, wow, it'd be so cool to live here. And he was like, ah, I don't know. And then after a while, he kind of wanted to too. How far is that from Fort Bragg? Fort Bragg is like, um, instead of going straight up the 101, you would take kind of a left to get out to Fort Bragg, and it would be it'd be harder. You'd have to head inland, I think, to get back on the 101. I think I'm not a yes. I'm not a Californian, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, I've, I've been to Fort Bragg. I went there to interview this um, woman who was like. A, a, Still, like, she was 90s, and she was, like, a former beat and escaped from Nazi Germany. But she lived in, like, one of those, like, you see those, like, weird, you know, like, when you drive up the coast, you see those weird dark roads that just go into the middle of nothing. (laughs) And and she lived, and I always, yeah, I was always like, who the fuck lives back there? But she did. But it it was, like, pitch black. Like, (laughs) you couldn't see shit if there wasn't, like, lights on. (laughs) It's like, um. Is it like weed, marijuana country up there too? By Mc- Mc- yeah, there there is like a huge kind of underground economy of that where it's like cash businesses really thrive. You know, like it's um, I think without the like underground marijuana economy, and there's an overground. You know, it's legal now, so there's also just like mainstream lots of you know like legal businesses as well. But there's still like that um, like below the radar business kind of feeding the economy and making it a little bit like it's like a secret thing that people I don't know people admit that it kind of buoys the the towns the surrounding towns and like keeps younger people around and stuff but it's not it's not yeah there's still a thriving underground economy and legal weed is is um is it like kind of is is it so small that like COVID isn't even an issue there or do you guys still have to be? Uh, well, it, it it's like, it it's, especially at the start, it was, you know, like really sort of like, okay, what's going to happen or what, like everywhere, like everyone. And I think we like, it was like one case, two cases, four cases. I Countywide when I left, I think there had been like, maybe like, I don't know. It's not, it's not a lot. It's like, and it's a really rural place, but you know, there's the same like rules in place, masks indoors for businesses and, you know, no big gatherings. And it's, it's kind of like everywhere in that way. And just like, yeah. So no, it's kind of like, there's worry stuff with that. Just like everywhere. Yeah, it seems like it's... It's not like riding public transportation or something. Like, you know, I mean, I can't imagine. I have friends that live in New York City and obviously live there at the height of things, and I can't even... I had, like, weird, crazy, like, obsessive-compulsive feeling worries without anyone who lives in my town and just, like, <laughs> mostly, like... So I can't imagine in a city. But, yeah, what were, what were you about to say? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was curious though why you didn't, because I, I wondered if you lived in New York, because it always seems like East Coast people tend to. That seems to be the city they jump to with, when they want the bigger life. Oh yeah, that New York is like 
my favorite favorite city it's the best and I never re- I mean I did live there but more like as a hobo kind of so I don't really like I'm not like I was never a resident of New York my dad lives in Connecticut so during the time when markers were touring like eight months out of the year or whatever, I would, you know, be like, oh, I'm going to crash my dad and then I'll just take the train up. And my friend Tony and Brian would like, let me like sleep on their couch. And they'd be like, can you move your uh, hobo bed? We're having guests. <laughs> <laughs> I was, or I'd like stay with Pete Nolan. He had an apartment um, with his roommate, Carlos, and I would sleep there when he would see his girlfriends. And I was just like, crashing at people and then i think malthus had a practice space that i maybe slept in once but i didn't make a practice of that so yeah that that was i lived in new york kind of but it was more just like hobo crashing in new york for lengths of time yeah i did that as well but not i had an apartment briefly but i just it it seemed almost pointless because i crashed at people or passed out at people's houses all the time i was excuse me i got um, you mentioned your dad, and there's there's something that you're. I read that you said that you were into Tiffany when you were a kid, and then your dad <laughs> played uh, um, Frank Zappa, and he was like, "No, this isn't real music." And I, I, that was like such a, I don't know, it really hit home with me for some reason, and I was curious if that was like a defining moment with your music curiosity, or if it's just it's stood out to me because my dad told me I didn't have the hands to play trumpet when I wanted to play trumpet as a kid. And it was like, (laughs) but my dad did. It was like, pardon me. How dare you, sir? How dare you? (laughs) Yeah. I, and he, he didn't know anything about trumpet. So like in, you know, 20 years later when I'm in therapy, I was like, what the fuck was that about? (laughs) That's amazing. You're like, wait a minute. You know, I could have you know i could have been a, a trumpet genius and you know and then i did went and wasted my life in other areas <laughs> how, how was it? I, I don't know if that was as definitive of a moment to you as it was to me when i read it you know at the moment that it was happening i i definitely like i'm my dad is really, really cool. He is like a person who like has always just been like, yeah, you should do that. And like, I'll be doing something. He might not understand why or what it is. And he'll be like, great. <laughs> you know, he's really supportive and positive. Um, but he's also a jerk. And this is a jerk moment. And um, it was like, uh, it was kind of like in the moment that it was happening, I kind of was a little, I had like a little bit of like, it's not that I was like, oh, God, you're right. As a eight-year-old girl, like, the strains of hot rats, tight organs, yes, this is where I'm at right now. This is this is my sound. I didn't listen to it and think, you're right, like, this is better than that. But, you know, certainly something in my brain had to make the connection, like, masculine music with like that has less structure that's less enjoyable to listen to <laughs> that it um 
Like, because literally at that point, I would have definitely thought, and you know, to this day, I'd stand by that. I would way rather listen to Tiffany than Hot Rats still. But in the moment, you know, I'm sure that that was imbuing that with a really like clear value system that one was superficial, that one was less music, that one was less had less gravitas, less importance. Like there was one thing that was like art and there was another thing that was, you know, phony or whatever. You know, my dad had me read The Catcher in the Rye when I was nine, actually. Um, It was his favorite book growing up and he was like, you got to read it. And then my mom found out I read it and she was like, what are you kidding me? Because, you know, there's prostitution, there's lots of swearing, whatever. Um, but I read that book and that was, you know, really foundational for a little brain as well. And I was just like, yeah, so like, you know, that concept of phoniness and like what you don't have critical faculties to read it as an adult would read holding Caulfield. You're like, that is awesome. Yeah. I feel the same exact way. (laughs) So like, I just, uh, you know, Basically, it had primed me to be the enormous, like, loser that got into minor threat instantly when I heard them. It was exactly up my alley. So, um, like, that was just sort of, like, a little, just a little kind of, like, foundational kind of brick in the what has value, what is art, and what is the other thing or whatever. And then when I got older, it was literally, like on adulthood before I was like what wait a minute is it just that everything like that has sort of like a feminine or like a more female audience somehow gets diminished in some enormous way for some reason I don't understand like it I went to college I I'm a feminist. It took me way longer than normal people to understand like the weird stink that gets put on things that are either just women or feminine or pop or have an enormous female fan base. I just didn't get it. I didn't notice. I didn't like, I I just didn't. And that is one of those things that I didn't think about until way later. Like, Whoa, you just, you were getting schooled in what was what and how to see the world. Like one thing's art, one thing's pop, one thing's like stupid and phony and like superficial. And the other thing has depth and importance in his art and is valid. And it was really, it took me a really, really long time. But in that moment, I didn't think that I just thought like this sucks. Turn off this lame seventies organ rock, dude. <laughs> I've, I've never been able to get on board with Zappa, which would, shock like a lot of people are like what but i'm like i can't get on i think i would rather listen to tiffany than frank zappa be quite <laughs> yeah well that's you know that's because you're in touch with it's real <laughs> <laughs> and that's but yeah i did like i guess i didn't i've read that you that's how you felt about it and i and what you just expressed as well is like the male and the feminine of it but i also i guess i <clears throat> uh but I, I guess I I also felt a different way about it too. It was just like, um, and not to, you know I was uh, projecting my own father into the situation where it was just like this is how you do it. <laughs> it's like, and, um, but I feel that, like I, some other things I read about you, like you seem to find more artistic worth. You find artistic worth in I think songs and music that a lot of people don't, and I mean this. I know that's 
came out that wasn't as articulated as well as I. But uh, you t- went on about <laughs> Frank, like Frank Ocean, and finding this. Uh, the, what is the song that you talked about? Uh, the Novocaine and the the. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I just but. And, I have- well, I have a whole concept of numbness in modern pop music and it like being tied to like the overprescription of opiates <laughs> and like just like the, the excess of like exposure to information and pictures and images and like just that there is that there's so much that we had to like just like go blank or like get you know anesthetized and that's sort of like but yeah that that song did blow my mind the first time I heard it. There's also a, another song that's more about like personal numbness uh, by this band, I think they're from Cleveland called Ego Summit. And that song, Novocaine, is also really amazing. There should just be a playlist of like things that numb you. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think people, and a lot of, because I'm friends with a lot of musician folk, and they, and they, there tends to be a close mindedness to what is good and what is bad and it like i feel like a lot of my musician friends would not find uh the worth that you found within novocaine which i think which really blew me away because i feel i don't maybe my friends are insecure (laughs) i don't but i found that like i found what you said about that song very inspiring and mind-opening Oh, that's really nice. Well, I mean, it's really fucking popular. I'm not like <laughs> I an underground artist. Get out. I mean, it was just like it just blew my mind to such a like narrative, lyrical, like and like perfect pop song, but also kind of like narrative, a story song in like that sense of like you know Sunday morning coming down or something. Like, there's a real story to it. So it's always just like, oh, that's so weird. That's such a it's such a traditional old style of song. Um, and, you know, I don't, I also like, I think there's, there's some element to, I have a, I have a real, I love, I love pop music in many different ways. It's not what I mostly listen to, but I'm completely like, oh, I love when just like in the 1920s, like, you know, that song, hello, my baby, hello, my, you know, like the frog sings yeah. it in the cartoon, like, oh, my baby, hello, my, that song. <laughs> that was actually like, like the new hip technology. Like it was, they were, they were talking about the telephone. They were like, it was, it, send me a kiss by wire, baby, my heart's on fire. That's a song about using the telephone and this new technology and these, this man, this woman fall in love over the telephone. And I think it's just like charming and sort of sweet and um, just like nods to something really like lovely in humans and in music and in like maybe it's cynical as well in terms of like like we need a pop song about the latest latest gear all the young folks have got let's write a song about the jewel everybody yeah <laughs> like i know that that's like kind of cynical and that's where maybe some of it's coming from but i love that that hello my baby song whatever that song is about the telephone and two people falling in love over the telephone and then there's like when when cell phone saturation was complete, when nobody didn't have a camera phone, kind of also that I think it, I think it was popular the same summer that like you know all of the most horrifying like firsthand videos of police brutality and of like the crazy violence and racism that that maybe hadn't had 
that visceral camera turned to it before for suburban white people or whatever seeing that stuff or whatever I think it was the summer of like 2015 2016 around there and that Drake song Hotline Bling got so popular that that right around then and it was like so sweet to me kind of like it was this new technology and it was like used to call me on my cell phone it's like oh cell phone I have one of those we've all got cell phones now and it was like, like I just, I, I, I just am really charmed by that, and I love that element in pop music when people are like, um, you know, like, you don't write me emails anymore. Just like when, when, because when you think about it in terms of like poetry or in writing or in generating a new thought or a new idea, like Wordsworth has had his way with the daffodils. You know, we can't really go deeper on daffodils, <laughs> but nobody has touched like the um apple watch or no one has touched like what it means to have like someone else call a car for you in the way that you call a car i mean in the same way that now we have like this weird disease and that we have this weird virus like no one has touched like there's so many things that are rife for newness like how well we can see mars now like there's so many things that are are just like so potent and unused up i got kind of obsessed with 3d printing and there's like eight thousand lyrics on the new magic i had to mute me talking about 3d printing on like four songs because like there's already like three different songs where i'm like 3d printing stuff is crazy <laughs> because that was just like my head was that or whatever i mean those weren't the actual lyrics but like i i really like that idea that um at the at a in a physical war situation that medics will be able to 3d print out a bone to replace a bone is just insane to me. And there's all of this like resonance that I'm not even smart enough to get at in terms of like the poetic, like possibilities in that kind of newness of image and that no one else has touched it. No one else has has gotten their grubby little mitts all over it yet. So, you know, if you're a writer or you're a, you're a songwriter or you're just like, you know, that's, there's so much there. And, you know, and just, just the same way that like in the fifties, like there were so many songs about souped up muscle cars. Like that was like this crazy, awesome technology, super highways were happening and being built and things were changing. Speed was changing and, it's just like I'm very charmed by that in pop music, and I think it's kind of a neat thing. I think we've the collective we has taken that for granted. I, I don't think people, or most people, listen to like a muscle car song and and make that connection. Or maybe I'm just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. I, you're so smart. Shut up. Come on. I know, but oh. Chicagoans, we got to shoot ourselves down. It's what it's the way we go. <laughs> Before somebody else shoots us down, because it is Chicago. <laughs> I love that that thing that was like, uh, remember those stickers? They still have those. Like you know how like it's like I love New York, and then for Chicago, it's just like a big dark purple circle. I dark purple circle Chicago. Oh, I never saw those. I don't live there anymore, so I don't know if they. But I never saw those. I think it was like probably reaching its like height of 
popularity probably when I was there. So I was like, oh, that's great. That's just so Chicago. Everyone from Chicago knows about that. But it was just <laughs> me in the short time that I was there. <laughs> when you approach your own songs and songwriting, do you do you think about these kind of things? Like, I want to inter- put this into my songs, or is there more of an organic approach that you have? I It seems... Is that, was that well it's it I mean I think because we're all living inside of it, it you can it can be like basically my my brain just tries really hard not to say anything's not on the table to like if something if if an image if an idea just like hits you, are you going to be like, cause I sometimes not, I feel like it's gotten way better and I don't want to be like, just, just like generalizing in a, and be critical in that way. But I just, I just, it makes me not sad, like in a jerk ass way, but just kind of a little bit like, ah, oh, dude, missed opportunity. When there's people who I'm like, Oh, you're a really good songwriter. Like, is there anything that like you are seeing for the first time or that are you, are you living now? Like, because not that you have to just that if you're really seeing and feeling inside of the world that you're living in, wouldn't it be impossible to not include everything that's actually happening and that you're seeing things that feel new, like there's there's new feelings now and there's new ways of feeling them because of options that no one's ever had before now. So like, I'm not saying you have to be like, all right, make that list. Let's get a jewel in the song. That's not what I mean. <laughs> like, like, all right, this is just a big song about my drone camera. Like, it's not it's <laughs> that. It's just like, it, it's just, okay, for instance, like the, the Cassini satellite or whatever saw actual, like, methane surf on the um, surface of Titan. And that was, it blew my mind. It was such a beautiful idea, just that this, like, ocean's pulling in and out on a planet, this ocean of gas. Like, it's not even an ocean. It was just, like, you know, like, it struck me as very beautiful and resonant or whatever. And that sort of thing hadn't been seen or talked about in that exact way before, you know, like these things are brand new that we get to see them for the first time. Yeah. That's it. I I didn't know about that, but that is sounds insane in a beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I mean it that way. Like not that you have to show, you know, like shoehorn, like I really have been (laughs) doing the list making app I got like it helps me keep on task um that's that's not exactly what I mean but just that you don't exclude something because it doesn't fit into your like book of romantic poetic images or something you know like like just like oh I write about only like certain almost almost like a like like just symbols that aren't attached to tangible 
reality. Like they're just like symbols that are like from books or something. Like I like the idea that what you live and breathe and your blood is moving through is in it kind of, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm not, there's probably no way to like talk about this where you don't sound like a, like a pretentious like wang, but anyway, moving forward. But speaking of though, I read that you were at one point working on a longer piece of fiction. Was that like a, were you working on a novel? I, I continue apace, my friend. I continue apace. I <laughs> am so slow. If you haven't noticed from like the music output, like I read a review and it was like, first record in seven years. And I was like, oh my fuck. <laughs> what? Are they? And then I was like, oh, okay, I did my solo record, but still that's a lot of output, buddy. Like get on the stick, get it. Like I'm, I'm amazed at how slowly I move and with writing it's even worse because I'm not in a band there's not like someone recording there's not like a person who's like so should we put this on the schedule for next year is this gonna happen and like so the writing it's just so much slower and I just kind of keep going so I'm like well worst thing that happens is I like die and someone's like okay well we'll just put out this like unfinished trash and um you know but at least I can be like it keeps moving forward. So it's just, it's really slow. And I haven't, I haven't really like done anything too risky with it. Like had someone read it and go like, no, do better jobs on these parts. So it's, it's nearing that stage. So it, it comes a pace. It should have been done by now if I was a decent, hardworking human being, but I will abandon it for months at a time. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, I can't even look at this. I'm not a capitalist. I'm not a productive, uh, like, I'm not a machine, man. <laughs> Why are you so mad at me? Quit breathing down my neck, man. <laughs> but, I mean, books are, it's, I think people think, like, oh, I can write a book. I got I got a story in me. It's like, you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. It is a, I have a friend who's a successful author, and he, he was like, some of my, his books took, five years he said one of them took five years to write and i'm like that would drive me crazy and he's like a dude who like wakes up and works every day on his writing yeah that's what i keep hearing which i'm like i'm fucked so it's coming out when i'm 70 but yeah i know i know it takes so long it's insane i don't i don't and that's like for good books <laughs> i mean that's like for bad books. like how do you do a good one like i don't know if It'll take that long, even if it sucks. That's what's very challenging. You know, you could work on it that whole time and be like, well, there it is. <laughs> I did it. I don't like it. I don't want to put it out, but it's done. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, it, it, there's also that fear of putting, like I they said, the author I just spoke of used to be an author and I gave him something I wrote and he was honest and it was crushing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's like, once you get over that, right, then you, if you keep going after the worst thing, then you know, like, okay, I can do it. I can do it. Yeah. Sometimes being crushed is good because like, is, is it, it was painful and it was, but it's, it also helps you be like, okay, it, it helps you re-see it and, and you just pick up the pieces and you go back at it and, and pray to God you don't get crushed again because... Then you and then when, if you keep getting crushed, then you go like, oh yeah, that's why Hemingway put that gun in his face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably if if like you are willing to like 
just devote the work and like go through the process of putting it in the world and like all of that stuff, you're probably, there's already something wrong with you. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then if it goes poorly, it's just like, you know, yeah, if it's, yeah. Depending, some people are just either really strong or just like secretly sort of like masochistic so they can push through it because they are vaguely like okay with pain. Yeah, but your lyrics are incredible. So I would assume that your book would be also also incredible. Man, that's really nice. Thank you. That's genuinely such a nice thing to say. But even like in uh, the video for Machine on the comments on YouTube people were some guy was like i really wish i could talk to her about these lyrics <laughs> or something i pair i paraphrase you <laughs> youtube subscriber but uh, but you it's, found a nice youtube comment That's i know a, you have done the work my friend <laughs> i know because i read some of your talkings about um people <laughs> being, being cruel to i just i don't i don't understand yeah you know that's the internet for you what are you gonna do <laughs> i don't understand it like i'm like what 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 does someone get from being cruel? It's just baffling to me. I mean, okay, here's what I'll say. I think when I was 19, I saw Dan Klaus at a bookstore, and I think he had a cold or something, and I was a big, like, I think it was, like, 20. I was a big, like, 8-Ball fan. Um, oh, yeah, and Chicagoan. I... Yeah, and I I just thought he was like the smartest, funniest dude, and um, I also hadn't published anything, I hadn't put out any records, and I had probably been like kind of trying to do that for like years at that point, even though I was just a little wiener. Um, I had thought like I should have something out by now, like if I was good, I would have had something out by now, and. So I saw him, and he couldn't have been nicer. He had a little bit of a head cold, and, like, my review was like, wow, I couldn't believe that this, like, guy with the sniffles, like, and drippy eyes was, like, the dude who'd written these. I wrote a review either on on something on the Internet, and I was kind of a dick, and it wasn't really nice. And it's like, oh, that's kind of, like, how you maybe, maybe wear a little bit of, like, your vitriol and, like, the unfairness can kind of come from is just that like visceral want of something that you don't have and they it looks like they have it and maybe they don't deserve it for some reason not not Dan Klaus when I say that I'm not talking about that but like when you see that like real like hate that you're like where is that coming from I don't know I can understand some of where it comes from because I've been you know sublimating that kind of hate for years <laughs> so it makes a lot of sense to me that uh in fact like i wasn't super bothered by bad uh comments when we first started playing shows and so, i mean it registered it sucked but i didn't i was like oh yeah because i think i assumed everyone was thinking that kind of shit about you all the time but now people could say it but that's not true most people aren't thinking that <laughs> there's no giant foot trying to squash you but for a lot of my young life i thought there was and i thought people were just like harboring like ill will toward you at all times i don't i feel like i've met a lot more people at this point a lot of really nice people but yeah. at the time i didn't know yeah it's it's just weird because there one negative comment can outweigh like all the positives and maybe that's just the maybe that's just how i don't know that's how it is for me i'm like what how that and then i'll like obsess about 
that one com- comment when it's like, and there'd be like, you know, 20 people going, that was great. And I don't know, maybe that's also the artist. Like there's that fear element. Well, well, you see all the, you, you see all the missing parts and what you wish you had put in and what, what you left off. So the one person that's like, yeah, this sucks. You're like, Oh my God, you know, you can, you can tell it sucks just like me. <laughs> Finally, someone with some kind of aesthetic knows what's going on. <laughs> this sounds absolutely it's garbage. <laughs> and, or if you just like have that everyone, right. I mean, I think literally, unless you're kind of, uh, missing, pieces everyone has that thing that is shutting that down all the time like no it's bad no some people have it worse than other people but almost everybody has it or else there wouldn't be a million zillion books that are like helping you to help you to make art to help you to make art (laughs) do you you think any of those books help people or (laughs) i i i actually do and um i had to get over like my my dad was super into like uh anthony robbins when i was little and like super into like self-help stuff so i had like a real chip on my shoulder about all of it i hated i was like they just take quotes from other books instead of reading those books that might have actually been good and i didn't like the it felt con- the right it just felt so condescending like the way that it, it talked to the person that, who it assumed the audience was and and then I got to a point with work and like other humans and art in general where I was like dude shut your dumb hole who are you to say like what helps people and what doesn't and who are you to like turn down help like really like you're gonna say you know exactly how to do this and that book can't do anything for you. Like, all right. So I guess everything is perfect about your output and about where you are in terms of your ambition for your work. You're just, you're right where you need to be. Right. That must be true because you can like be snide and like look, you know, askance at these numerous different methods people find to get where they want. And it's like, that's not true. So, you know, maybe, have a little more objectivity and check out why your brain is not. I mean, that said, there's some really stupid, manipulative <laughs> trash yes. that I would like to burn in a hole. But if it helps somebody and if it gets, you know, like it might even be like just that it gives you the discipline to at least sit down at a blank page or sit down and hold your guitar or your flute or your box of buttons and do <laughs> the work that you need to do if it gets you to sit down and do that and not like you have enough, if you need another voice telling you something different from what your own stupid brain, why not? You know, whatever works, whatever, they're just tools. True. Did it, I, did it take you the magic a year to make this new album? Did I read that correctly? Yeah, it was a weird, <laughs> it was a weird one in terms of schedule. This is supposed to be our fast record that we like did real quick after, you know, um, I, I did an alone record and then I toured for a long time after the, <laughs> I like that you called the solo record, alo- the alone record is great. <laughs> I didn't have any of my pals or magic markers with me. It was all by my lonesome. And, um, and then I toured for like, 
I was like, I know, I'll just do her for like an insanely long amount of time. That's that's definitely the thing that'll get me back into the studio faster. No, it kind of burns you out after a while, even though it was super fun. After that, I, I just like, I didn't, I had to sort of be still to generate more stuff. But during that time, I... I was like, oh, but it would be so great to get back in with markers. It's probably going to move really fast because I know what I'm doing now. And no, my friend, no, that is not how it worked at all. We got, we recorded with Jason and it was really good, but we left and everyone was just more confused than when we got there. It was really like, and then we did a little bit more recording and then I was like, okay, I'm going to mix it. I'm just, I'm going to start mixing on my own, just do remote mixing. Jason sent us the tracks. And so I started to do it, but everyone else has Shaw lives on like a beautiful farm in Vermont of a million acres, the bass player in Magic Markers, and he does not have internet, not wireless, not wired, not cell phone reception. It's a no connectivity zone. He has blueberries, he has sheep, he does not have Wi-Fi. And so <laughs> I would do a mix and I and Pete was like getting his master's degree having two tiny humans in that he is raising with his wife Julie who also run a business and working full time. So I would be like, oh dude, I just like mix this epic piece for 72 hours i look forward to your reply and it would be like a month <laughs> and i wouldn't hear from anybody i'd be like it must suck those guys are all, oh they must hate it so then i'd be like oh well, i don't want to do any more stuff until i hear back because probably don't like it and then like a month would go by and somebody you know john would be like sounds pretty cool i'm at the library more later <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I'd hear something from Pete and Pete would, you know, Pete would be like, oh, did, did you get that? You know, it would just be like, you know, quotidian business stuff. And I'd be like, did you get my, my, you know, like masterful Opus drone? And he'd be like, ah, I'm doing stuff. So it was sort of like everybody was like kind of busy and then we were traveling and we played some shows and then we did some other stuff. And then we just, I wouldn't say like I'm a, I'm a dogged pushy person <laughs> so basically if you're not like right there being like hey it was good what you did then i'll be like nah, i think i'm going in the wrong direction i'll just i'll wait here <laughs> like so it it was a an amalgam of forces that kind of slowed us down but we were all like champing at the bit to get it moving forward at all times like we were like we gotta get that record out but taking any of the steps that would logically lead to that result are it's beyond us Ugh. we gotta get it out though gotta get it out um and we didn't really like move forward with things at the pace that uh ideally would and not just ideally but that we had planned however having said that we really did like allow ourselves to kind of get the distance that for me is actually ideal because you're not really objective when you first hear the things you're too close to the like the person who recorded it and the longer time goes by the further you are from the person you were when you did the work and the easier it gets to actually hear it kind of if that makes sense that you have some kind of objectivity a little like not a lot but at least more than you did when you're like close to the quick or whatever so in that way getting to be another person by time passing helped speed the plow as well yeah but i think there's with a lot of creative processes people are like gotta get it done and do it and i was 
the SCTV, do you know, remember that television show? Yeah, of course. Of they course. would write for six weeks, take a six-week break, and then write for another six weeks. Like, they would let the it gestate for six weeks, and they would just go off and, I don't do whatever the fuck they did, but that I found that so fascinating, but I also think that's why maybe that show was so good, because it wasn't this weird network pressure. They were off in the middle of nowhere Canada letting it right. and it was like uh, I think really that's fascinating true. to me. I, I mean you're you're I fully agree with that. I <laughs> I do. I I don't I that being said, I feel lucky for the times that I've sort of been overridden in terms of my own schedule where someone just says like it's instant, it's happening, we're doing it right now that ends up being kind of a cool process too. It's just that if it's left up to me, I will like fiddle with it until the brink of insanity. Right. I understand that. When does the new album come out? This Friday in stores, this Friday, Friday, Friday. Oh, I thought, I guess. October 23rd. Oh, awesome. I hope, right. The same day as Borat. Oh, that's a blessing. It's a bless- I, I never use that word. <laughs> I just turned into a soccer mom. That's, we blessing. are all blessed that that's coming out on the same day. I, I can't believe I said that word. <laughs> Blessings with Matt. Yeah. That's, I thought that was your podcast. <laughs> Uh, I, I, anytime people say that, like, I'm blessed, I'm like, it just makes me cringe for some reason. And, uh, and I just did it. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. I say that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I guess I should, I shouldn't harp on what word somebody uses to describe their gratefulness. <laughs> I know where you're coming from though. There's connotations. Yeah. I'm just, I'm trying as a human being not to do like you, like, like I, I used to like, judge what music people liked and I was like fucking life is so goddamn awful at times like who gives a shit what gives people pleasure be it Tiffany or well Frank Zappa that's a mistake <laughs> <laughs> almost anything almost anything <laughs> not that <laughs> uh, yeah and, and Beach Boys without Dennis Wilson or uh, Brian Wilson or either B- Wilson <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, is there any uh, thing you need to plug uh, other than that? The websites, things like that. Like, no, I I don't really. Um, I'll put it all in the see. show notes, like Drag City, and where they can get the record. And whatnot. <laughs> oh, you can follow me on, on podcast. People say you can follow me on Instagram at Invisible Motor and on Twitter at Invisible Motor. Or if you'd like to follow the band Magic Markers, that's at Tweet Hassle. Looking forward to engaging with you online, socially. <laughs> awesome.